Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for tuning in to Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food, real results, and cool lifestyle hacks you can use to be smarter and leaner and healthier than ever. On the show this week, I'm very happy to welcome back someone you guys have been asking about for a long time. I had him on the show earlier, but it's been far too long. He's the best-selling author of The 4-Hour Workweek and many other books that you may or may not have read. Uh, He's, of course, Mr. Tim Ferriss, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this show. We get into a lot of stuff. You might at times feel like this show is going twice the speed as normal, and that may or may not have something to do with the fact that Tim right now is experimenting with ketosis, and his brain is on fire. So we'll get to that in a second. Firstly, you may know that I just launched my hardcover book called The Wild Diet, and it's been getting some great reviews. I thought I might share one with you before we get to the show. This one is Five Stars, More Than Recipes by Michael Wesselson. Thank you, Michael. I bought this book after listening to Abel's Fat Burning Man podcast for months. Abel takes a practical and positive approach to eating well and exercise. I've lost three inches in my waist from following his simple plan for three months. Not bad. I look better and feel fantastic. I decided to buy the Wild Diet book so I could explore new and different recipes and stay true to my new way of eating. There's a lot more than recipes in this book, and I enjoyed having extra information on why this diet works and why traditional American eating and dieting does not. It is especially useful to have this resource because so many friends and family want to know what I've done to lose weight and look so good. Thank you, Abel. Well, thank you, Michael. So if you haven't yet grabbed a copy of my new book, The Wild Diet, please check it out anywhere books are sold. You can also, of course, go to fatburningman.com and check it out there. If you're already enjoying your copy of The Wild Diet, please take a quick minute to leave a review on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks, Goodreads, or anywhere else you can. Your reviews and feedback really do help support this free show and the other cool stuff that that we bring for you guys and I read every piece of feedback I get so thank you very much in advance and thanks to those of you who have already left a review and grabbed your copy all right so on to the show with Tim we talk about how to get started with ketosis and witness firsthand what it does to Tim's brain the daily habits and hacks that you can use to be 10 times more effective why Tim isn't doing intense CrossFit type exercise right now, and how to heal from Lyme disease, something that my brother got and Tim has experienced recently. It's something that you may have heard about or even experienced firsthand. So we talk about the trials and terrors of going through something that is a an ephemeral condition, especially here in America, and what Tim did about it and how he's still kind of leveling up to this day. So one quick note about this show. This is the first time I've recorded a show completely off the grid right now we're up in the mountains by Santa Fe and we're running on solar and cellular so the connection at times was a little bit scratchy but I'd say it's a really really promising start and I've been impressed with the fact that we can be in totally remote places and still bring the show to you so I appreciate you bearing with us if there is a little hiccup here and there but I think you're really going to enjoy this show with Tim so let's go hang out with him All right, folks, he is the best-selling author of The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, and The 4-Hour Chef. As the master of space and time, he's also got a brand spanking new podcast and TV show. I'm very happy to welcome back Mr. Tim Ferriss. What's cooking, Tim? What is cooking? Not much, because I've been fasting and uh, consuming synthetic ketones, so I'm not doing a whole hell of a lot of cooking these days, but... (laughs) 
a lot is happening and I'm very excited about it. So awesome. thanks for having me back. Yeah. So we haven't talked in a while, but I did listen to your show with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which was one of my favorite episodes of all time of anything. And uh, man, that must have been such a pleasure to sit down with that man. It was surreal, to yeah. put it mildly. Right. Uh, and what was really funny about it is typically if you try to get someone in person, they punt to phone. And then I tried to get Arnold. I pitched doing something via phone. And the, re the response that came back from his team was, we think it would be a lot more interesting in person. Would you be able to make in person? And I was no like, way. I think I can somehow fit that into my schedule. Yes, I'll, I'll call my other commitments. And uh, ended up you know, walking in past all the security and sitting down at his breakfast table to do the podcast, which wow. was just insane. And I was so nervous. Yeah, uh, you know, understandably, I don't get terribly starstruck often, but, but it's, the it's Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> for Christ's sake. So I didn't sleep at all the night before. You know, I had my assistant and uh, multiple people calling my phone to make sure I was up, wow. and you know, three alarms set on my my iPhone, and uh, got in. But I did a ton of research and really tried to dig and pull out stories that people hadn't heard before, including even his own team. And that was that was a blast. So yeah. I was very happy with how that turned out. And it's it's developed into a lot more. So I've been now involved ongoing with Arnold and his team doing right. all sorts of stuff for after school programs and whatnot. So who would have imagined? Yeah. And I, as a child of the 80s, who grew up with Predator and Commando and whatnot. Yeah. It's just it's it's very few things could be more surreal. Yeah, but, no. uh, that was a that was a blast of an interview for sure. That's so cool. And all the people in Predator became politicians somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true, Jesse Ventura. <laughs> oh my Still God, waiting on so Apollo funny. Creed, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the le legislators just, and uh, running out of candidates, so they're going shopping in '80s action films. Totally. totally. Who can we pick up? So I've been getting a lot of questions recently, especially about ketosis and especially going high fat fast and kind of combining those different worlds. That's something that I've been tinkering with for a long yeah. time and just loving it in a lot of ways. You can definitely stub your toes, but uh, why don't you talk about it? Because those are some of your experiments these days, right? Oh, definitely. And I, I might have some questions for you as well. <laughs> okay. And because, uh, well, for instance, I mean, this morning I woke up and uh, what I'm doing right now, I, I fasted for a period of time to kickstart ketosis, just makes yeah. it a lot easier and faster for me to do that, to approach it that way. And then uh, this morning had two or three tablespoons of caprylic acid, which is basically a medium chain triglyceride that converts well to ketones. Yeah. The Perillo brand, for anyone who's interested, I have no affiliation, but that just, they sell, I think it's called something like cap oil or cap tree oil, something like that. Cool. And then had a spoonful of this stuff which is keto sports, calcium and sodium beta hydroxybutyrate. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen this. Sounds delicious. <laughs> uh, it is actually not that bad. Yeah. You would expect it to be horrible. The label is is keto kana, C-A-N-A, which stands for calcium and sodium. And for those people wondering what the hell beta hydroxybutyrate is, it is what a ketone strip measures if you're measuring ketones through the blood. So you have beta-hydroxybutyrate, you have acetoacetate in the urine, so if you're peeing on keto sticks, and then acetone through the breath if you're using something like a ketonics meter. Uh, but the blood tells the story, generally speaking, much more accurately in my experience, or at least for me. So I, I track the beta-hydroxybutyrate. And with this, you're basically just jacking your 
ketone levels up, uh, which of course your brain and your heart really enjoys. So yeah. I'm th- this is my equivalent of coffee prior to you and I talking. And then uh, of course I wouldn't miss having my my morning brew of tea, which is just poo air tea plus ginger and turmeric and just a dash of green tea since the pharmacokinetics are slightly different you get a more extended 15% gain as opposed to flying high and then crashing as I often do with say coffee but the the degree to which I crash on coffee depends almost entirely on how roasted it is which Mm. a lot of people don't realize uh, can be a major factor but that is that is basically my morning repertoire at the moment and one thing i have noticed though whether it's at the beginning of a fast or the beginning of ketosis oftentimes the same thing for the first week or so of ketosis i have incredible trouble sleeping Mm. Uh, and i'm wondering if you've experienced that or heard of that i haven't dug yeah very hard because i just assumed it was other factors but it's it's so consistent for me. Is that yeah. something that you've you've run into? I have, yeah. And it's different for everyone, but basically the general answer is that when you hard shift into anything, your body freaks out a little bit. You know, even if you go off sugar, you know, for a week and you've been eating plenty of it for a while, it's like your body's like, what is going on? And you feel terrible, right? Um, yeah. So it's kind of like, the carb flu in a lot of ways, which you might have even if you're not a sugar junkie or something like that. So when you go, right. let me ask you this: Why are you doing this right now? That's that's that is the the meta the meta question, <laughs> the good question. I I'm doing it right now, uh, experimenting with these two things, partially out of curiosity because I have better tools available to me than when I did these experiments yeah. a long time ago. So I, I have done experiments with extended ketosis, uh, inter, intermittent ketosis, meaning cyclical ketogenic diets where I would do what some people would think of as glycogen depletion workouts with weight training and then carb load for one or two days, typically yeah. one day in my case. Just I've done all that. that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've done these experiments, but when I did them, which was a long time ago, more than 10 years ago, I didn't have, say, a precision extra mm-hmm. uh, glucometer from Abbott that also tests ketones. Yeah. It was all keto sticks, which is very, very, I mean, that's like you know, trying to hit a target 50 feet away with a handgun in your wrong hand with a blindfold on. It's really tough to get precise with that type of tool. Yeah, it's ugly. And now I've got, you know, these synthetic ketones. I've got the devices that give me blood readouts. I have all of these, uh, these, these toys and tools. So the, the, so one reason was curiosity, but primarily after Lyme disease last year, uh, which I kind of scoffed at for a long time because yeah. my entire family's had Lyme disease. I'm from Eastern Long Island. Everyone gets Lyme disease, but I was really incapacitated and my immune system was highly compromised. Yeah. So this is a way for me to, to see if extended ketosis or ketosis in general will correct some of the biomarkers, some of mm. the blood measurements that went really wonky and weird after Lyme disease. So some of my lipids, for instance, just got really out of whack and crazy looking. And I have no explanation for that. So I'm, I'm curious to see if going into a ketotic state will change that or not. Mm -hmm. And I have, I've done blood tests before, uh, and I'm going to be doing a bunch, a whole slew, as you would imagine, uh, of blood tests and urinalysis afterwards to see if that has any impact. And, uh, we, we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. My brother uh, got Lyme disease years ago, and the doctors basically denied that that was a thing for the first two years. <laughs> and so, like, that's not good. No, it's not. And so, by the time 
they got to it and admitted that that was probably the problem. You know, he was so far gone. He, he had trouble remembering uh, even phone numbers, you know, like digits in consecutive orders yeah. getting neurological. And so, yeah, it's something that you don't want to tinker around with. Actually, one of my other friends, he got Lyme disease, the, the early stages of it. And he walked into, um, he actually, <laughs> he works in like natural foods and supplements and stuff like that. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And so he walks in uh, 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 like a health food store to get, the natural solution to it and the guy behind the counter he's like look at my hand (laughs) if you're on the video version you can see this but if you're not i'm shaking it violently and he looks at his hand he's just like i went natural and i made a mistake (laughs) and uh it's it's crazy so what did you do when you to nip it in the bud so this is very controversial topic needless to say i'm sure you've you've seen this uh i do think so speaking as someone who was completely basically destroyed by Lyme disease for a six month period where mm-hmm. I had this, I had very similar neurological symptoms. I was having trouble remembering close friends' names. My wow. knees were so swollen at one point that I, I had trouble getting out of bed. It took me about five minutes to get up and walking around in the morning. Yeah. And uh, partially because I didn't exhibit the telltale bullseye rash that mm-hmm. a lot of people think of as the trademark, including myself. I'd thought of it as the sort of one of the sole indicators of early onset Lyme. But about 20% as I understand it, of people are asymptomatic. Uh, mm-hmm. Topically, you don't get a rash. And I didn't get a rash, so I was just like, ah, suck it up, walk it off, Ferris. Like, you're not drinking enough coffee, you're not sleeping enough. Yeah. I made up all of these other excuses for the collection of symptoms. Mm-hmm. I do think that lo- most cases of Lyme disease are misdiagnosed or psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, Lyme is a collection of symptoms for the purposes of diagnosis is very similar to say chronic depression or chronic fatigue or even many other diseases and syndromes that have extreme overlap with the symptoms. So I I think that, that, and for instance, when I went to one of the top doctors at Stanford and I told him that, uh, you know, I've been diagnosed with Lyme disease and his first response was, okay, where did you get Lyme disease? And he looked on the CDC, you know, Center for Disease Control map, because he's so accustomed to having like old retired dudes or like bored housewives in Palo Alto come in and say, I have Lyme disease. And wow. he's been so, he's really? so accustomed to debunking that diagnosis mm-hmm. that he looked on the CDC map and he's like, okay, you're pretty much at ground zero for deer ticks. <laughs> like, let's talk. <laughs> and, um, uh, the way that I nipped it in the bud is the, is the conventional approach. And I, after looking at everything, and this is probably going to piss off a lot of people, but yeah. I've dug, I've, I've really dug into this, as you would imagine I would. And I have access to a lot of incredibly good doctors and yeah. biochemists and microbiologists and infectious disease specialists. Uh, one of my, I have a number of concierge docs at the moment, and uh, that's not something I've always had, but I have a concierge doc right now who used to run infectious the infectious disease department for one of the top wow. universities in the country. Yeah. And none of those people believe in chronic, the idea of chronic Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. They don't. If you, if you destroy it using antibiotics, whether that's any, any number of, of broad spectrum or specific antibiotics administered orally or intravenously, mm-hmm. there's very little to zero evidence to support the contention that the spirochete survives that onslaught of antibiotics. Yeah. Yeah. There's just there's very little evidence. So my theory, so I used antibiotics, doxycycline specifically. Now, uh, those are powerful drugs. Mm-hmm. So my my pet theory is that the chronic symptoms that people experience that they attribute to chronic Lyme disease are not from the Lyme bacteria or bacterium itself. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it is from the gut flora depletion sure. that it comes after a long stint of using antibiotics. Right. And uh, what I've been amazed by, quite frankly, I'm really familiar with the microbiome and I have access to very good startups. You know, I'm an investor in a company called Ubiome with a U, which yeah. does this type of testing. And I've been fascinated to see how hard it is to repopulate your gut. Uh, and I've been doing the, obviously not while I'm ketosis, but you know, the, the kombucha strains, mm -hmm. the like L plantarum, all of the probiotics, but not just the probiotics, that's not enough because those will just pass through your system if your GI tract doesn't have the environment to host right. Good bacteria. So I'm taking prebiotics, the baobab root, the inulin, the different types of, of uh, insoluble fibers, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, and really doing all of it. And my before and after still looks almost identical when I really? do a GI sort of fecal matter test. Wow. Yeah, it's very, very demoralizing. So I suspect that that is a huge, huge component with some of the residual problems that yeah. I'm having. And so this, this is how I, this is part of my detective work. So, right. you know, hopefully the testing that I'll, that I'm doing, and there is some evidence to support, although it's, it's also highly speculative. There's uh, or I should say incomplete. There's some evidence to support that a ketogenic diet can help. Uh, there, there's the possibility that it could help restore a, uh, a better balance yeah. of, um, of bacteria in the gut. So I want to, and keeping in mind, like I've done slow carb diet, you know, very similar, obviously to paleo with legumes and so on added in mm -hmm. for a very, very long time. And so I'm not a high carb necessarily eater. I'm certainly not eating the standard American diet. Yep. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a case to be made in fact for beans and legumes as a uh, prebiotics, right. just given the starch that's involved. But, uh, so I've been following a very healthy diet, but my blood tests got really majorly out of whack mm. after, the Lyme and then the antibiotics. So that's a yeah. very, very, very long answer. But that's why I'm doing these experiments. And uh, my belief based on all the evidence so far is that antibiotics do work at killing the, the Lyme spirochete and mm -hmm. that, and my and pet theory else. subsequent <laughs> to that. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're dealing with like napalm. I mean, it's yeah. it's not, you know, this is not a sniper shot. Like you take broad spectrum antibiotics, you're just basically swallowing napalm and killing whatever's <laughs> in there. Yeah. So, um, but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because when people say, oh, it's chronic Lyme, we don't know how to treat it. Like the, the spirochete is, you know, digging into the biofilm and hiding. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like you're infested with thetans? Like that's, this is science <laughs> fiction, folks. Like there's, you know, this is not this is just pure fantasy land. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not some malevolent, like sentient being that's like, okay, like let's, let's gather the troops and hide in this tissue to, because we know the bat, <laughs> the antibiotics are coming, coming. Like this is not how yeah. these, these things work. So I've actually been in a way oddly reaffirmed and excited about the fact that I don't think there is a chronic spirochete activity. I think yeah. it's, I think it's, it's, it's almost, certainly related to microbiome depletion. And yeah. then the, so, so now the question is like, well, it, you know, and I'm, I don't know, I forget if I can curse on this show or not, but we'll it's like it, <laughs> from long, from long Island, it's hard to keep inside of me, especially with this topic because it yes. pisses me off so much, so <laughs> totally. many levels. Uh, the, 
I'm really I, I, now it's just a question of testing with the microbiome. So I'm yeah. doing a ton of that, and I'll be I'll be announcing a lot more of that stuff as I as I try to figure stuff out. Yeah. Um, but the the other thing I would say to people out there, just just to be really clear, the tests that are used for testing Lyme disease are very primitive. So you get a lot of false positives, mm-hmm. meaning you test positive for Lyme disease when you don't have it, and you get a lot of false negatives meaning you test negative when in fact you do have it. And uh, whether that's the ELISA, the Western blot or otherwise. And there are labs out there, I'm not gonna mention any names because I don't wanna get anyone in legal trouble, but labs that specialize exclusively in Lyme disease are incentivized to give you answers that require further testing. And I've seen some really scandalous, horribly (laughs) uh, malevolent, in my opinion, behavior from a lot of these labs, which are very well known in the Lyme communities, and uh, most rigorous docs and scientists think those places are just charlatan shops. So, yeah. cool. So, one of the things I'm really fascinated by aren't what people write in their books, because I know that anyone can write anything in books, especially being an author now. But <laughs> what do you do every day, especially considering you know you're launching, you're busy? How do you keep up with all the the knowledge that's in your head and reconcile that with like actually having zero to little time in a lot of cases to do the things that you know you should? Definitely. Uh, there, it's, it's, a, it's a constant challenge. And the reason I say it's a constant challenge, and I, I do have some answers, uh, but it's a constant challenge because once you create slack, let's just say, once create you create slack. some, yeah. once you create a buffer where you have improved a process or you've divested yourself of an activity or ended a relationship that was very time and energy consuming, once you have that new capacity, if you're a type A personality and very hyper aggressive, and I would say that I'm in that <laughs> boat, you're in that boat, I'm like, sweet, look at all this free time I can now right. use for something else. And yeah. you very quickly fill that void. And uh, it doesn't have to be with work stuff, but it could just be with commitments of various types. Right. So in my particular case, there are a few things that allow me to operate well. Uh, and if I do these things every day and I'm fallible, I, I still will have days where, for instance, I can't sleep well, and so I'll wake up later than expected. Mm-hmm. That's uh, And I am a night owl. Historically, I go to bed four or five and wake up very late. I mean, wow, like, really? Four or five. If, I'm, if, I, if I'm writing. Yeah. So I get my, my best writing done between 11 p.m., and 5 a.m. And Twilight that means, yeah. right, which makes sense. And it's actually very common for writers. It's not all across the board the case, but for writers to get the most done when everyone else is asleep, which right. makes perfect sense. So you yeah. can either go to you can either go to bed very late, which is what it has been historically what I do, yeah. or you can wake up very, very early. Yeah, I do the morning and, one. Right. So what I have realized is if I wake up, I don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn, but if I wake up around 7.30, seven or seven thirty. That gives me a good hour to hour and a half, at least uh particularly on the East Coast, but even on the West Coast, mm-hmm. where I feel like I have I've gotten a start on the day. So just psychologically and emotionally, I don't feel rushed. I don't feel yeah. like I, I got out of bed and someone dropped me on a treadmill running at like 10 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> which uh is is the feeling that you can have, which is very reactive. If mm-hmm. if you wake up late and have to jump into say email and you're like, oh right. my God, you refresh the screen, and I'm sure everyone's done this. You refresh the screen and you look at the total number of email count and you're just like <gasps> <laughs> you wait, and then it hits and you're like <laughs> oh my god 
So, so the first thing would be waking up between seven, uh, you know, seven, seven thirty, let's say. Yeah. Uh, the second would be meditating for 20 minutes first thing in the morning before mm-hmm. I check text messages, before I check any type of medium that could dictate my schedule yeah. or interrupt my schedule. That part is life changing yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. And it's, it's, there are many different ways to do it. You could use an app like Headspace or Calm. I don't use an app. I tend to just sit down and uh, meditate using techniques from transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. It, it's I don't think it makes that much of a difference, quite frankly. And and TM to take a course, which I recommend, or a classes, let's say a four to five day class, which is an hour a day at like lunch break. Mm-hmm. I found it very helpful because I was accountable to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I realized that historically, if I weren't accountable to someone else to meditate and record that experience and discuss that experience, I wouldn't do it consistently. It's yeah. just too optional an activity. Uh, so so TM, it's just TM.org, was very helpful for me. There, there are things that I disagree with uh, in terms of just how the organization is run. But it's very secular. They do have like the, you know, the Indian guru thing that you have to get past in the beginning. And you're like, <laughs> all right, I got it. Like I've seen the picture of your dude. Like let's get to the, the technical, you know, yeah. meat and potatoes. Uh, but it's, it's just repeating a sound, a mantra. I don't like that word. I think it has a lot of weird connotations, but just repeating a sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that allows you to basically turn off the monkey mind by like introducing a type of organized static. That's how I think about it. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a warm bath for your brain where you just chill out uh, and, and stop the chatter for a brief period of time. And uh, Vipassana meditation, I think, is also mm-hmm. uh, very helpful. Different types of mindfulness meditation. You know, I think there's a, a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are by yep. John Kabat-Zinn, which I think is very helpful. There's another one uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh, his first book, uh, who was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Mindfulness is Every Step, or something like that. And uh, those are two very good intro books, in my opinion. But if if you're like, you know what? Too much work. I don't need more homework assignments. Just try guided meditation, headspace, mm-hmm. uh, calm. Sam Harris, who's a good buddy of mine, he was also on the podcast, uh, PhD in neuroscience. He also has some guided meditations of his own cool. on uh, samharris.org. Uh, so H-A-R-R-I-S. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, so those are two pieces. The last would be some type of movement practice. And when I say movement practice, I'm very deliberately not saying exercise because it doesn't have to be a workout, but some type of physical movement, ideally outdoors. So my instrument of choice is long walks and, uh, which helped tremendously for deepening ketosis as a side note. Yeah. But, but long walks, not doing cross, you know, necessarily anything like a CrossFit workout, uh, particularly since I'm just getting kind of back on my feet after all of these autoimmune issues and right. the the really super like head against a wall, smashing through bricks approach to exercise. I've in my older years just realized is is I I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's necessary, and um, so. Uh, you know, I'll still do that stuff on occasion, but right now it's not my mode. I'll, I'll go for like a two, three hour walk nice. and I'll batch my, I'll batch my phone calls mm-hmm. or listening to podcasts yeah. that I either listening to for relaxation or because I want to figure out like, how are they doing sponsor reads in a way that isn't annoying? How are right. they doing A, B, C, D, or D? Like, do, are they choosing pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll, whatever? The, I mean, I'm, I'm in research phase with all yeah. that stuff because, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate with, you know, the Tim Ferriss show's done. It's done really it well. Did, yeah, it's it's been absurd, and uh, I started it as an experiment where I was like, all right, you know what? And this is for for those people listening 
to tie it back to your question, like how do you make things work? I make things work by partially taking new projects and mitigating the fear associated with them. And the way I do that is I take something that people might view as a permanent decision, quitting a job, starting a company, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And in the case of podcasts, a lot of people start a podcast, but they don't have any exit strategy. Right. So in, in other words, they're like, hey, I should do a podcast. But uh, I like to think about it almost as a sort of a poker player might. And, you know, that was one of the, the skills that I, I did in the, in the TV show. I had a week to I'd never played poker and I had a week to try to learn enough yeah. to compete against professional poker players for my own money, mm-hmm. like thousands of dollars at the end of the week. But so deciding in advance, like, when am I going to walk? Right. And if you buy a stock in the in stock market, same thing. Like when what is my exit point? Yeah. So for me, I established that with the podcast, I was like, I'll do a six episode experiment. And it's gonna be self-contained. I'll try it. If I don't like it, I'm gonna end at six. And I decided that in advance. So I knew that my the total amount of work was very clearly defined and yeah. contained. Yeah. And then I tried it and I was like, hey, this is actually really fun. And I'm having a good time with it. So I kept <laughs> so I kept doing it. Yeah. But treating i treat almost everything in my life as a series of two week experiments like two to four week experiments mm-hmm. and there are set points to reassess things and i think that's very smart much in the same way that some people i know and uh, granted i'm in san francisco so i'm surrounded by all sorts of weirdness but yeah. uh some people i know renew their wedding vows every year and mm-hmm. they sit down to like talk about it and basically do like a performance review right. of each other and um i I met with this one guy. I've been spending a lot of, I've been trying to spend a lot more time these days with really happy 60 and 70 year old men, because I'm a dude, just 60 and 70 year old men who have very good relationships with whether it be, you know, their wife, their kids. You hang out with my dad. (laughs) Yeah. No, but seriously, like just interrogating those people because it is so, it's not common. I mean, I, I, at least in the metropolitan cities in which I've lived, I mean, most people are pretty unhappy and most people have marriages that are really, really rocky. Uh, And not to say they don't take work regardless, but it's very challenging i'm just realizing watching as as i am now and i'm 37 and a lot of my friends are getting divorced and these are like good smart people who are benevolent folks i mean they're trying to do the right thing and so i i met with one older guy and uh, we were having drinks and he said that every i think it's every quarter and i thought this was so genius like every three and he's a very successful business guy so Mm -hmm. this fits his mind perfectly but every quarter and i think this was actually his wife's idea, he gets graded on a 10-point scale as a husband, father, provider, and lover. Wow. And, and he gets graded on a 10-point scale for each of those, but he doesn't have, he, they're not evaluated or he's not judged in each of those independently. So the, his wife has a total hmm. that he has to hit. And that's the that's the most important thing. So, for instance, that is he might genius, yeah. Isn't that smart? So, so he'll travel for say two months, and he'll be like closing huge deals, and he'll be overseas, and so he'll he'll get a ten out of ten on the provider score, a nine out of ten. But then, as say lover, he's not going to do so hot because he's yeah. just not available. Father, maybe who knows? Husband, maybe who knows? And uh, I just thought that was so smart because most people, uh, myself included, like will will be involved with projects, whether those are. Uh, just a relationship with an assistant or mm-hmm. a relationship with a boss or a relationship with 
fill in the blank. It could be anything, you know, yeah. a creative partner where you're whatever, the, right. making pottery together three times a week. <laughs> and these little problems can fester just like Lyme disease and become really, really big problems. So mm -hmm. it's like prophylactically, can you build in these check-in assessment points to not only identify problems, but just optimize for a better experience and a better outcome. So, yeah. um, holy sh shnikes, these freaking <laughs> synthetic ketones are really popping right now. But uh, I, that was like a, an answer to 15 questions that you didn't ask at all, but that's okay. Ketones work, folks. Yeah. They work. <laughs> Brains love ketones. Oh, my God. No, but that is so cool because I think it's important to think of things cyclically right? You can't just get like an A plus across the board in everything, right? Like I remember being in high school and I graduated early. So some terms I would, you know, have to be the lead in a play and get straight A's, couldn't be on the football team at the same time. You know what I mean? You kind of have to pick your battles as, as it were, and also look forward to the upcoming battle when you can take your foot off the gas on one thing and really come back refreshed to another. Definitely. Definitely. And life is about, uh, I think, you know, investing is a very interesting practice because investing money is a metaphor for the rest of the assets and resources in your life because yeah. life is really a series of choices about resource allocation. Mm -hmm. you, have, you have energy, you have attention, you have time, you have income, you have mobility, you have all of these various currencies. How do you choose to split them up and allocate them? And what are you optimizing for? That's what like when people ask me like, well, what's the optimal diet? I'm like, optimal for what? Yeah. Because, you know, it's like, hey, if you want to win a bodybuilding competition, I can tell you how you might go about doing that. But it's you might certainly not, like not it, gonna, though. It's certainly <laughs> you're not gonna like it, almost guaranteed. And it's certainly not gonna be optimizing for, say, longevity. There's right. no way. Yeah. I mean, your IGF one, you know, you'll have IGF one pouring out your eyeballs. It's yeah. not gonna be good for for longevity purposes. Right. Um, but the uh when you're looking at, say, uh, coming back to like my morning routine or my daily routine and how I manage all this stuff, the answer is I don't manage all of it. And I have to let a lot of less important things, including relationships, mm -hmm. and I hate to put it this way, but kind of implode on themselves to get the really big positive things done. Yeah. And what I've realized is it, the, the, danger, the danger is not so much choosing a bad option. And this is going to sound funny maybe to people, but I think that the, the danger in a digital world where you're constantly bombarded with information and opportunities and ads and announcements, the, the, the biggest risk is not choosing, say, a really terrible job and then staying in a terrible job. Because most people will uh, recognize that it is extremely uh, non-desirable to be in that situation and they'll make a change. The risk is drowning in kind of cool stuff. Hmm. So you commit to the kind of cool stuff right. and that doesn't allow you to commit to the hugely amazing, awesome, life-changing stuff for yourself right. and other people. Yeah. And uh, you know, the analogy that I heard at one point, I, I didn't create this, but I was told, it's like, well, it's, it's kind of like if you imagine a mason jar and if you fill it half full of sand, and then you have like a handful of small rocks and you put those in and then you have two big rocks. You can't fit the two big rocks in. Mm -hmm. But if you, two the, if you put the two big rocks in, then the handful of smaller rocks and then fill it full of sand, you can put it all in the jar. Yeah. And you just, you have to put first things first. And, and I think about that because, and again, I, I, these, these, um, I, I can't recall the attribution, but I remember reading at one point, you know, the, 
there is no one path to success, but the sure path to failure is trying to please everyone. Yeah. And that's become really clear for me in my own life because uh, the amount of inbound is hard to fathom. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my, the, the Tim Ferriss of 2007, when the four hour work week came out, thought he had a lot to juggle and had to figure out systems. Yeah. It, it is one, one thousandth of what comes at me now. So wow. the, the, ty- the type of bulletproof shield mm-hmm. and the type of sort of uh, parrying and dodging and, and uh, managing of that has had to become much more sophisticated. Yeah. But more than sophisticated, it's had to become stoic in the sense that I recognize if someone can't accept that I have too little bandwidth to commit to their project, even if we're friends, and they get very hurt and end up upset with me, that is not a relationship that is worth me maintaining. If they have no, if they have no compassion and no empathy, no right. ability to put themselves themselves in my shoes, then it's not a relationship I can invest in. Mm-hmm. And what's ironic, perhaps, about that is that I can remember, for instance, uh, back in the day, and this isn't that long ago. I mean, mm-hmm. even two thousand seven, where I would say ping someone for a book blurb. And they and uh, someone I'd had a lot of contact with, and they wouldn't even reply. And I'd be like, "Wow, how rude!" You know. <laughs> but now I'm like, "Wow, I get it," because these yeah. were people with a lot of public exposure, and I didn't have that at the time. I yeah. was I had a lot of stuff. I mean, I had business I was I was running remotely and all of this and so on, but I had no conception of how insane it gets when you have a ton of public exposure. Sure. And so like I can't even fathom how people, you know, like the Brad Pitts of the world manage things. It's <laughs> it's and I mean the answer is they, you know they, they they don't go outside and they yeah, wear like sunglasses right. and hats and fly private because they can't go to airports. But yeah. but the upshot of all of that I think is to to get the life changing huge positive things done, you have to say no to a thousand seemingly cool things. Yeah, you can't it be can like, be oh, cool. that that could be cool, mm-hmm. and the the that could be cool. Let me do it. Doesn't scale. Yeah, uh, and not that you have to scale everything, but uh, there's a there's a great little book. I think it's called Anything You Want. I'm blanking on the title by Derek Sivers, who's a, a real like oh, yeah, philosopher philosopher king of programming. Yeah, uh, who's, who's a dear friend. I haven't seen him in in too long. I really want to hang out with him. Uh, he's been traveling a lot internationally. He built up a company called CD Baby and sold yeah. it for I think twenty four million dollars. And I used that as a musician years oh, no kidding. ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Derek is amazing. And one of his small chapters. This is a, a phenomenal book. Everybody should buy it. I've read it probably a dozen times, which is saying a lot. I don't read a lot of books uh, once, let alone that many times. <laughs> and uh, one of the short chapters was on, you know, if it's, it basically covered the, the idea of if it's not a hell yes, then it should be a no. Yeah. If it's not, if it's not a hell yes, absolutely, how could I say no to that? Mm-hmm. If it's like, ah, let me put together a pro and con list for a week and figure it out, right. then you shouldn't do it. It's a no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, again, that's a good call. ketones taking over my body like a demon. <laughs> I feel like a demon possessed, you know, I feel like I'm in the exorcist, but possessed by a benevolent demon called ketones. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> don't worry, nobody listens to this show, but we are yeah, coming yeah, up right. on time. Why don't we talk about your show before we yeah. go? T- tell us about, because you've been holding it close to the chest for a while now. I'm sure you're stoked to get it out there. Yeah, I'm so excited. So, I mean, for people who, uh, well, for people who haven't, but also for people who might be familiar with, you know, the four hour body and the four hour chef and all the crazy experiments that I did on myself. 
uh, whether it's you know trying to gain 30 pounds of muscle in a month or what you name it, right? Trying to hold yeah. my breath uh, for multiple minutes with the help of David Blaine. I was basically taking <laughs> fair this shenanigans approach to life, which is trying to get yeah, which is you know trying to get superhuman results without being superhuman. How do yeah. you do that? Right? How do you renegotiate or negotiate your genetic limits and do things that really shouldn't be possible? Like, what is the what are the hacks? Uh, what are the the tools and tricks that you can use as a you know quote normal person to get really absurd results? And I wanted to share this approach to accelerated learning in real time with people. Show show them what it looks like. So the show is called The Tim Ferriss Experiment and part of the production company, 0.0, who, who uh, did all of Anthony Bourdain's work. Uh, so they launched you know, No Reservations and Parts Unknown and so on. Very cinematic, very super gritty. And we filmed, this was insane, I wouldn't do it again, 13 episodes in 16 weeks, something like that, where we Jeez. filmed five to, day, five to six days a week it was just an insane schedule, but each week I would have to tackle a new skill with the help of a very unorthodox world-class teacher, yeah. and then I would be tested often with something very dangerous at the <laughs> end of the week. So I had you know surfing with Laird Hamilton in Hawaii. I had yeah. professional poker. I had three-gun shooting, which is this crazy kind of real-world like Halo slash Call of Duty speed shooting uh, with a 10-time... Uh, California or national champion, and uh, we did you know drumming with Stuart Copeland, who's the founding drummer of the Police. Where it was like in that oh. case, I had a few days to go from zero to playing the drums with Foreigner to a live sold out show, <laughs> and uh, you know I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in uh, New York City with Marcelo Garcia, who's like wow. the, the Michael Jordan of right. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and had to spar guys who are, <laughs> I mean just. Monsters, <laughs> complete, complete monsters. So I had you know torn ligaments, broken bones. I, I oh. mean, the, the this this series was insane. But yeah. at the 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 point of the whole thing is, each episode delivers at least a handful of techniques that other people can use to learn anything. Cool. Uh, there's a language learning episode. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And there's a ton of bonus footage, so people can find that uh, on iTunes. So it's just the Tim Ferriss experiment. Ferris with two R's, two S's. And uh, if if they want to see bonus footage and all sorts of samples and teasers and tons of extended interviews and stuff, they can just go to fourhourworkweek.com forward slash TV, all spelled out. So that's uh, F-O-U-R, the four-hour workweek. There, there are a million ways that can be misspelled, I've learned over the years, but, but fourhourworkweek.com forward slash TV. And um, yeah, I think, I think people will really, really dig it. It's even if you've never read my stuff, have no idea who I am, if you want to see a combination of like, Mythbusters, Jackass, and a Beautiful Mind. Yeah. Then I think I think th I think this is that show. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I can't wait to check it out. And uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll have to have you on again soon. Yeah, for sure, man. I know uh, I will have uh, some results at that point of all these weird experiments that I'm doing with my my protoplasm. So Beautiful. I look forward to it. Enjoy the ketones. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show. If you'd like free fat burning tips, muscle building goodies, as well as a free ebook and video course, head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email, and I'll shoot those right over to you. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com forward slash fatburningman, and on Twitter, my handle is fatburnman. 
Got some killer shows on the way, but in the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Thank you.